Last night, we began our discussion of the three trainings, and we saw that we can discuss these in terms of just Buddhist science and philosophy, which is uh, dealing with basic science of the mind and philosophy of ethics, dealing with our emotions and so on, using the material from these three trainings in order to basically improve the quality of our life. And then there's uh, Buddhist religion, which would be focusing on things like karma and rebirth, liberation, enlightenment. And we would be using these three trainings to help us to attain better rebirths, to attain liberation, or to attain enlightenment. But regardless of uh, which level that we are implementing these three trainings on, nevertheless, it's always focused on helping us to overcome problems and suffering that we have. And the method is to try to identify the causes of our problems and difficulties and to apply what is known as the Eightfold Path to help us to eliminate these causes of our suffering. I'm laughing because this fly seems to like me and wants to stay by my face. Anyway, from a Buddhist point of view, you always wonder, who was this fly in last lifetime that wants to be with me so much? A little bit uh, more peaceful way of looking at it than just wanting to swat it. Anyway, the three trainings are in uh, ethical self-discipline, concentration, and discriminating awareness. And these are extremely helpful to cultivate in our daily life. If we are dealing with others, then, of course, it's uh, very important to watch how we act with them, how we speak with them, or if we are in some sort of uh, business transaction with them, how we uh, interact on a business level. We need ethical discipline to refrain from doing anything that would be harmful or destructive what they're saying, what their needs are, what's going on with them in order to be able to interact in a proper way. If we're not paying attention, our mind is wandering all over the place or every minute or so in the interaction our cell phone goes off and we do another SMS and so on, then uh, that really makes for a very difficult communication with the other person. And if we're able to concentrate on the other person, what they're saying, how they're acting, then we'll be able to use discriminating awareness to be able to decide what is the appropriate response, what would be an inappropriate response. We need to discriminate between these two. And then that leads again to acting properly, speaking properly in an appropriate way to the other person. So these three trainings are uh, intertwine with each other and reinforce each other. That's why we say that uh, we need to apply all of them simultaneously. And even when we're not with other people, interacting with them, we also need these uh, three trainings just in terms of ourselves. In our own dealings with ourselves. it's important to not act in a self-destructive way and to uh, have our minds be focused so that we can accomplish whatever it is that uh, we want to accomplish. And we use our basic intelligence to discriminate between what's appropriate to do, what's inappropriate to do. So these three higher trainings apply to both our own personal situation and our 
social interaction. So like that, they're very, very basic principles that uh, we can apply in our daily life. Then we started our more detailed look at these three in terms of the so-called Eightfold Path. And the first group, these are in three groups, first group of these are the three that are involved with ethical self-discipline. It's training in ethical self-discipline. A slip of the tongue, I said, higher trainings. That is a terminology that we find used most frequently. When we hear higher trainings, the three higher trainings, this is referring to when we use these three in order to attain liberation or enlightenment. That's why they're called higher. They're referring to applying these three to attaining a higher goal. So a goal that is higher than just this lifetime and future lifetimes. Okay, so we are speaking in terms of ethical self-discipline, and here we have what's known as right speech, right boundary of action, so right behavior, and right livelihood. And yesterday we spoke about right speech. And we saw that uh, we need the discipline to refrain from four destructive ways of speaking. So lying, speaking divisively, speaking in a harsh and cruel way, and idle chatter. And instead, to have the discipline to speak in a appropriate and constructive way, a way which is uh, truthful, that tries to create harmony, that is kind and gentle, and is meaningful and spoken at the appropriate time and the appropriate measure, not just interrupting people with trivia. And the discipline to speak in a way which is going to be helpful to others, like answering their questions, comforting them if they are unhappy, and so on. So, now let's uh, go on. The second of the Eightfold Path is uh, speaking about a right boundary of actions. It's a technical term. When we speak of a boundary, we're talking about a certain limit that uh, I will act up to this boundary, but not beyond that boundary. So this is referring to uh, three types of destructive behavior. First is uh, killing living beings, so taking their life. Second is stealing, taking what does not belong to us. And the third is inappropriate sexual behavior. So what are these uh, talking about? Killing is basically taking the life of someone else. And we're not speaking just in terms of humans, but we're speaking in terms of hunting, fishing, killing insects, and so on. Now, I think for many of us, giving up hunting and fishing is perhaps not so difficult. Insects are much more difficult. <laughs> but uh, there are many ways to uh, approach this without getting into future lives and past lives, and this fly was my mother in a previous life, and so on. I think that uh, the main emphasis here is that if there's something that annoys us, we don't want to have as our first response to kill it. This builds up the habit that anything that we don't like, we want to destroy in a violent type of way, and it starts to extend beyond the fly that's buzzing around your face. What uh, we want instead is to find some sort of peaceful way of dealing with something which is annoying. So, with uh, insects, fly, or mosquito, or something like that, 
It is possible to, when they land on the wall, to put a glass over it, a paper underneath the glass, and take it out. In many, many situations, we can find a much more peaceful way of uh, dealing with something that uh, we don't like. I mean, if you live in India, as I did, you learn to live with insects. I mean, there's no way that you can get rid of all the insects in India. I always thought of uh, advertising uh, campaign for travel agents for India. If you like insects, you'll love India. And when I first started living in India, my background was such that I uh, certainly was not fond of insects, but uh, I was a uh, great fan of science fiction. So I imagined that uh, if I went to uh, another planet and the life form in that planet was in the shape of uh, insects like this, it would be quite awful if uh, whenever I met anybody there, all I wanted to do was step on it or uh, uh, smash it. So if you start to uh, put yourself in the place of the insect, and you know, the insect is just doing its thing, then you start to respect it as a life form. But obviously uh, there are harmful insects just as there are harmful people. And sometimes you have to use strong measures to uh, control them. But the first thing that one tries is a peaceful method. Whether we're talking about human conflict or we're talking about your house being infested with ants or cockroaches or something like that. So, it's uh, killing. Then the uh, second one is stealing, taking what doesn't belong to us. So, obviously people are more attached to their lives, at least most people, more attached to their lives than they are to their possessions. But uh, still, if you take somebody's possession... That causes a great deal of unhappiness, and then we're uneasy, are we going to be caught, and all of that. Now, remember, when we're discussing these, what we want to avoid is problems to ourselves. Obviously, it's a problem to the insect or the fish if you kill it. But the problem to ourselves is that, for instance, if we are very disturbed by the insects, then you're constantly paranoid, aren't you? You're always worried. Is a mosquito going to come in and invade my space. So you're always watching, or in the middle of the night, there's something there, and you get up, and you, know, you go hunting in your room, trying to uh, find it. It's a very uneasy state of mind, isn't it? So if we try to use a peaceful method to deal with something that we don't like, our minds are at ease, we're relaxed. If uh, we always think to resort to some violent method, then you're very tense, aren't you? paranoid, so unhappy state of mind, and we're out of control. So you go to swat the mosquito or the uh, fly, and you smash some precious object that it had landed on because you just want to get it, and so you destroy your own stuff. You're out of control. Whereas if you try to find some peaceful solution to it, you can use your discrimination much more calmly and rationally to find another method, peaceful method, to deal with the problem. So the same thing with stealing, taking something that doesn't belong to you. You have to be sneaky, you're worried that you'll get caught, and it is based on a very, very strong desire, usually, that uh, you're not patient enough to do the work that will be required to get something, so you just steal it from somebody else. Now, of course, there's also killing and stealing out of the opposite 
motivation you could kill because you're very greedy to eat this animal or to uh, eat this fish. And again, things depend on the circumstances. If there's absolutely nothing else to eat, that's one thing. If there are alternatives uh, to eat, that's something else. And you could also steal out of anger. You know, you want to hurt somebody, so you take something that belongs to them. So these destructive ways of acting are based on, as we were speaking yesterday, on disturbing emotions. Then the uh, third type of destructive behavior is inappropriate sexual behavior. This is always a uh, difficult topic because uh, for most of us, the uh, strong drive behind our sexual behavior is longing desire. So there are the the basic guidelines, the boundaries that we set here, which is uh, not to cause harm with our sexual behavior, like raping somebody or uh, violating them in a very violent type of way that's going to hurt them. So that's quite obvious, quite clear that that's uh, something that we want to avoid. Forcing ourselves on uh, someone a milder form of that, which is really pressuring somebody, even our own partner, to have sex when they don't want to. Then there is uh, also having sex with somebody else's partner. If you have a partner having sex with uh, somebody else, so adultery, no matter how careful we are, that always leads to trouble, doesn't it? But uh, there are many other aspects here to uh, inappropriate sexual behavior. And the whole idea behind it is that uh, we want to try to not just act like an animal, that uh, animal just will jump on any other animal whenever it feels like, no matter what, no matter who's around, and so on, that uh, totally under the control of desire and lust. That's what we want to avoid. So what we would want to do then is to set certain boundaries. Remember, this is uh, called boundaries of actions set certain boundaries that it's within this sphere that I will have my sexual behavior and not beyond that. So that could deal with how frequency, it could deal with the sexual positions, it could deal with whatever. But to have certain guidelines, not just anything that I feel like, anytime, and so on, like an animal. I'll do this with you, but I won't do that. This type of setting boundaries. This is uh, really very important in terms of discipline. Discipline is to refrain from going beyond that boundary because we see that this is just based on lust. This is really not at all necessary. Like, for instance, we're on a meditation retreat. During this meditation retreat, I will not have sex. This type of boundary, whatever that might be, point is some boundaries. Now, although uh, taking intoxicants is not included in these uh, wrong or destructive actions, nevertheless, uh, abandoning intoxicants is very important in terms of uh, our development. We want to develop concentration. We want to develop discipline. Well, getting drunk, you lose all discipline, don't we? You take certain types of uh, psychedelic drugs and you lose all concentration. Constant mental wandering with marijuana, etc. So, if one looks at the effect of various drugs or alcohol and so on, and compare that to what we want to accomplish in terms of our own personal development of our mind, our emotions, our behavior, and so on, we see that getting drunk or getting high is completely contradictory to that, creates obstacles.
And those obstacles last not only while we are drunk or high, but there tends to be leftovers of that later on, hangover, etc. So initially set some boundaries in terms of limitation, and best is to give them up completely. So one aspect of uh, ethical discipline is refrain from destructive types of behavior. The other aspect is to engage in constructive ways of acting, what's called right action. So instead of uh, taking the life of others, you help to preserve life. I mean, you can see a wider application of this. Rather than completely destroying the environment so that animals can't live and polluting the lakes so the fish all die, taking care about uh, ecology. That's a way to help to preserve life. Feeding your dog (laughs) is helping to preserve life. Feeding your pig, not to fatten it up so that you can kill it and eat it, but feeding your pig so that uh, your pig thrives. But this also includes taking care of sick people, help to preserve their life. You know, somebody gets hurt, you try to help them. These sort of things. Preserving life. You know, if you think of a fly, in India you have to deal with flies, but if you think of a fly, a fly or a bee flies into your room. Now, the fly or bee doesn't want to be there, does it? Especially the bee. It wants to get out, but it doesn't know how to get out. So if you just kill it, for making the mistake of flying into your room. That's not very nice, is it? <laughs> if you help it to get out, you know, even if it's just opening the window and shoe you know, like that for it to get out, you're helping to preserve its life. It wants to live. If a bird flew into your room by mistake, you wouldn't take out your gun and shoot it, would you? <laughs> you would probably try to open the window and get it to fly out. So what's the difference between the bird and the fly? Size. The sound it makes. You don't like the sound that the fly makes. You like the sound that the bird makes. You don't particularly like flies to come in your room. Don't open the window or put a screen. Then uh, the uh, right action in terms of uh, not stealing would be to uh, try to help protect other people's uh, possessions. So uh, not damaging. Somebody loans you something. You try not to damage it. You uh, take good care of it. This type of thing helping them to have nice things. And instead of inappropriate sexual behavior, act in a sexual way. And we're talking about not only sex with somebody else, but sex with yourself in a kind, gentle way, in a proper measure, and so on. Not just lust like a a dog in heat. And as uh, we spoke in terms of speech, if we look at an extension of our uh, discussion here from what I have in my sensitivity training, we can also see that there are many other aspects that are involved with these uh, three types of behavior. So, an extension of killing is to stop treating others in a rough physical manner. So that's not only hitting others, but uh, overworking them, pushing them too hard, in terms of uh, doing things, in other words, causing some sort of physical harm. And also toward ourselves, to uh, stop mistreating ourselves physically by overworking, eating poorly, not getting enough sleep, this type of thing. That uh, we usually think in terms of uh, our behavior toward others, but actually often we have very self-destructive behavior as well, not getting enough exercise. Then in terms of stealing, we speak in terms of uh, not using things of others it's not just taking them, but for instance, uh, using 
possessions of others without asking them. Take somebody's phone without uh, asking them and make some expensive call. We just help ourselves to uh, things without getting permission. This is stealing. Sneaking into the theater or whatever without paying. Uh, <laughs> you get into a tricky one that people don't like. Not paying your taxes. Now, of course, you could argue, well, I don't want to pay my taxes because it goes for making war and buying weapons. But it also goes for making roads, <laughs> building hospitals and things, having a school. So if you want to use those, well, come on, you have to uh, pay some tax. But uh, also, if we think in terms of ourselves, what we want to do is to stop wasting our money on trivial things, misusing possessions, misusing our wealth, like gambling, for example, or being stingy when spending on ourselves when we actually could afford it. You have the money to be able to eat a proper diet and to get proper food, but you're stingy, so you buy the cheapest, most horrible quality food. This is stealing from yourself, basically. And uh, in terms of inappropriate sexual behavior, it's not just pushing ourselves on others or on their partners, but to stop engaging in sexual acts that could endanger our own physical or emotional health. Simple example, you meet somebody and you are attracted to this person. On the one hand, you would like to have sex with this person, but this person has an awful lot of emotional problems and other difficulties. And you realize that if you get involved with this person, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be difficult. And so for your own personal health, don't do it. Don't touch this person. Don't get involved. Don't just be driven by your lust that they're pretty. Okay, so this is our discussion of uh, what is normally called right behavior and wrong behavior. Do you have any questions about it? Yeah. Uh, so my question is about stealing, and uh, I want to discuss this uh, tricky topic of the rights, because, well, there are different opinions about that. Some people say that there are rights and there are not rights. And I'd like to discuss with you, how do you think uh, does such thing as, for example, downloading some unlicensed uh, software or pirate videos are kind of stealing or not? Well, I think it is stealing. There's no way to say that it's not stealing. If uh, it said very explicitly, do not download this without paying. Yeah, yeah. it's clear. But I think the, the principle here is setting certain boundaries in our behavior. So it's called boundary of actions. So in terms of our ethical discipline, there's a whole spectrum, isn't there? So the spectrum is from doing anything that you feel like doing, regardless of what the consequences might be on others or ourselves, all the way to, let's say, if we're talking about inappropriate sexual behavior, being a celibate monk or nun. Having nothing. But there are many, many possibilities in between the two extremes. You can point us to set some sort of boundary and develop some sort of discipline that you don't go beyond that boundary. So, in terms of killing, it might be I'm not going to hunt or fish or kill people, but insects, well, I can't deal with that yet. Or in terms of uh, stealing, you could say, well, I'm not going to rob a bank. <laughs> or steal something from a store, but downloading without paying, I can't really avoid that. 
but at least you've set some sort of boundary. However, one needs to acknowledge that downloading without paying is stealing, it's taking something without permission. Also, there's a big difference between downloading without paying when you could pay, when you do have the money to pay, and doing that when you don't have the money to pay. I think it's much more serious when you could pay and you don't just to be cheap, to be nasty. That, I think, needs to definitely be avoided. Now, as an author, I have this uh, enormous website. The way that I avoid all of that is everything's for free. Then there's no problem with somebody downloading and using it and putting it on their website or whatever. If it's a benefit to others, fine. And then just live on donations. That's the real Buddhist way. But uh, not too many people do that. <laughs> anyway, any other questions? Okay, then let's go on to uh, livelihood, how we make a living, and the discipline that would be needed there. What uh, we want to do is to have the discipline to try to avoid making our living in some sort of harmful industry or harmful way, way that's harmful to others or harmful to ourselves. So, for instance, manufacturing or dealing in weapons, slaughtering animals, hunting, fishing, exterminating insects, making or selling or serving alcohol or drugs, operating a gambling casino, publishing or distributing pornography. These sort of types of livelihood is either harming others or, like with pornography, causing their desire and lust to just uh, increase. But uh, even if we're involved in a regular type of uh, livelihood that isn't harmful to others or to ourselves, we want to be honest. You know, so you want to avoid being dishonest, overcharging customers, customers or clients. You just want to get as much money from them as possible. Embezzlement, that means to uh, take funds of a business for your own use. Extortion, threatening others in order to get money from them. If uh, you don't give me a large amount of money, I'm going to publicize something terrible about you in the uh, news. That's extortion. Uh, Bribery. Kidnapping. So that would be like kidnapping. That uh, If you don't give me all this uh, money that I demand, I'll kill your child. Not a good way to make a living. Bribery. <laughs> Exploitation of others. False advertising. Adulterating your food or product in order to make more money. So, I mean, there are many, many dishonest ways of uh, making a living. And again, we want to apply the ethical self-discipline to avoid that type of livelihood. Instead, we want to uh, try to make our living in a way which is honest and which can benefit society mm -hmm. the best type of occupations. So, medicine, social work, fair commerce, making products or selling products or services that are of help to others, doing anything that uh, contributes to the healthy functioning of society and the welfare of others. Not cheating others, not overcharging, all these sort of uh, things. Setting a fair price. One obviously needs to make a profit, but within reason. Pay your workers well. Don't uh, try to uh, exploit them by uh, paying you know, very, very little in order to get the most work out of them. Also, what is involved here is to uh, try to avoid the extremes of complete asceticism on the one hand, just living very, very poor type of way when you can afford to live better, or on the other hand, excess luxury, which is totally unnecessary. Gold fixtures in your bathroom, etc. 
that obviously is an extreme. But I'm more probable examples are the people that I know who have an awful lot of money and who go and buy the most expensive clothes and they have so much clothing, so many dresses, particularly women tend to do this, so many dresses, so many outfits, and they go shopping because they're bored and think that somehow they're going to find some happiness in buying yet another thousand euro dress, which doesn't bring them any happiness at all. Yeah. So this type of excessive luxury is also is an improper way to lead your life. So these are the three factors, the three aspects that are involved from our eightfold path in the training in ethical discipline. We want to uh, try to involve ourselves with the ethical discipline or train ourselves in the ethical discipline to refrain from destructive speech, destructive behavior, destructive ways of making a living and the discipline to engage in constructive ways of communicating, destructive ways of behaving, and constructive ways of making a living. And also uh, the discipline to speak and act and make our living in a way which is beneficial to others. And this applies to how we deal with society, friends, how we deal within our homes, with our family, how we deal with ourselves. There's one point about the right livelihood that often comes up in questions. Let me address that. Once I was uh, translating for a uh, Tibetan teacher in Australia, and he mentioned about this uh, right livelihood. And in Australia, there is a tremendous number of sheep, both Australia and New Zealand. And somebody asked, well, in the town that I live in, that's the only thing that is available, is to raise sheep, which are then used for uh, meat, wool, and then meat. And so he asked, yeah, well, what should I do? I can't just move to uh, a city or some other place and uh, try to find another work. I mean, this is what is available where I live, where my family lives, etc. And the uh, Tibetan Lama said, well, the main thing is to be honest in your work and not cheat others, etc., and not to mistreat the sheep, but to treat them kindly, feed them well, take nice care of them, these sort of things. So he said that the main emphasis is on being kind and being honest in the way that you're making a living, even if it has to be in terms of raising sheep. Now, obviously, that would be uh, difficult if the only industry in your town was building weapons. Then, well, to just uh, sell your weapons at a fair price, I mean, that also is <laughs> not sufficient, I think. So, any questions on uh, ethical self-discipline before we go on to concentration? Okay, so there is a situation in the Baltic Sea, and some giant crabs appeared there, and they're killing everything which lives there and some companies hunting on the scraps uh, to make a business. So, uh, would it be ethical to kill the scraps because they kill everyone else or not? That's a, a difficult issue. It's not just limited to these giant crabs. So, I have this image from some science fiction horror movie. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, also in terms of when you have a locusts coming and eating all the uh, crops in the field, or you have bed bugs infesting your home or something like that. 
it's the basic uh, question of extermination of pests, harmful pests. I think that uh, a great deal has to do with the motivation. The classic example that's used is uh, in a previous lifetime, Buddha was a navigator on a ship, and there was uh, someone on the ship who was uh, planning to kill everybody else on the ship. And the uh, Buddha saw that uh, there was no way to prevent this mass murder. The only way, in a peaceful way, the only way that he could prevent it was to kill this uh, potential mass murderer himself. So Buddha killed this person, but he killed him with a motivation of compassion rather than anger or fear. Compassion was to uh, spare the lives of everybody else on the ship and also to uh, prevent this person from building up such negative karma that they suffer horribly in future lives. But also, the Buddha accepted and acknowledged the fact that it is killing somebody, it is a destructive act, regardless of the motivation. And the Buddha said, I am willing to accept the karmic consequences uh, from this on myself in order to spare others. So even if we don't think in terms of karmic consequences in future lives, you shoot somebody, a mass murderer, still you have to go to the police and you have a trial. It's going to be uh, a lot of hassle that you're going to have to experience as a consequence of it. He said, I'm willing to take on and accept that consequence in order to spare the lives of others. So if it's necessary to uh, save the crops or to save the rest of the fish and so on to kill a predator, then not out of anger, not out of fear, not out of, I want to make a lot of money from selling these crabs. But uh, if it's out of compassion, then the consequence of it will be much less than doing it out of anger. Now you need to acknowledge that it is negative and accept whatever consequences will come from that. Yeah? Uh, you mentioned the overcharging the price of different products. What do you mean by that? Because when you have a profit which is more than zero, is it already overcharging for product or not? No, it's not uh, overcharging if the profit is uh, reasonable. There's a difference between making something in China that costs uh, three cents to uh, produce and you sell it for a hundred euros. That's excessive profit, isn't it? And people do that. Maybe three cents is too little, but uh, how much does it cost to produce a designer brand shirt in Bangladesh? Uh, they're actually paying the people, and how much do they sell it for in your fancy store? So, one needs to make a living, one needs to raise a family, and so on, so you need to make some profit. It's hard to say a certain number or a certain percentage is reasonable or not. But uh, one knows, I think, that if one uses basic common sense, you have a general idea of what is too much. Okay, let's uh, go on with uh, concentration. Here we have the next three parts of the Eightfold Path. Right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. <laughs> right effort is to get rid of destructive thoughts and develop states of mind that are conducive to concentration. Right mindfulness. Mindfulness is like the mental glue to hold on and not let go of something. So it prevents us from forgetting something. 
And so right mindfulness is not to forget the actual nature of our body, feelings, mind, and mental factors so that we don't get distracted by them. And uh, also to uh, not lose hold of our various ethical guidelines, precepts, or if we've taken vows, uh, vows, and not to let go or forget of an object of focus. So uh, if we are meditating, obviously you need mindfulness to uh, not lose the object that you're focusing on. But if you're having a conversation with somebody or you're working, you need to have this mindfulness to keep your attention on the person and what they're saying and not to lose it, lose your attention so you get distracted by something. And then concentration itself is mental placement on an object of focus. So if we are listening to somebody, having a conversation with them, Concentration means that your attention is placed on uh, what they're saying, how they're looking, how they're acting, and mindfulness is the glue that keeps you there so that you don't become dull or distracted or whatever. Okay, so let's uh, start with effort. Wrong effort is directing our energy into harmful, destructive thoughts. These negative thoughts or destructive thoughts are things that uh, completely distract us. We're not able to concentrate at all. So the first of these is what's called covetous thinking. That's thinking jealously about what others have achieved or the uh, pleasures that they have or the material things that they have and how can I get it for myself? Extreme jealousy and desire, attachment. So we can't stand that uh, somebody else as things that we don't have, whether they have success, whether they have partners and we're very lonely, whether they have a new car and we don't have a car, whatever it is. We're constantly thinking about that and plotting about it. Very, very disturbing state of mind. Prevents our concentration, doesn't it? I think also the type of thinking which is involved with uh, being a perfectionist falls into this category, subcategory of this, you know, how can I outdo myself? What I did was not good enough, and so now I have to do more and more and be in control. So it's a jealousy of yourself, in fact. Then the second is thinking with malice about how to harm someone if uh, this person says or does something that I don't like, or I didn't like. I can get even plotting. Oh, when I see this person next time, I'm going to say this or that. And we regret that I didn't say something back to them when they uh, said something nasty to me. And we can't get that out of our heads. And we're thinking about that all the time. I mean, there are also many self-destructive ways of uh, thinking. Thinking to do something that will really sabotage uh, what I'm trying to do in life. So, although we might not be aware that it's going to be harmful uh, to me. Nevertheless, we're thinking in terms of that. I can't afford something, but I really want it, so I will go into more and more debt in order to uh, buy it. It's self-destructive. It's unconsciously planning and plotting to get something that will cause even more problems to yourself because of even more debt. Then the third is what's called distorted antagonistic thinking. So if somebody else is uh, striving to improve themselves or to help others, thinking that, well, they're stupid, what they're doing is uh, useless because it's not something that I like. 
if somebody else chooses something and you think, ah, oh, you know, so stupid for doing that. Some people uh, don't like sports and then they think anybody who likes sports and likes to watch football on the television or go to a team, well, they're completely stupid. There's nothing harmful about liking sports, but you think in a distorted way that this is stupid, this is a waste of time, and it's a very antagonistic state of mind as well. Or uh, somebody is trying to help somebody else. Let's say they uh, give a little bit of money to a beggar, and then you think, oh, you know, you're really stupid for doing that. This is ridiculous, uh, etc. This type of thing. I mean, even if the beggar really is just doing that as a profession, and they're not that poor and so on, still, that's a horrible lifestyle to choose to be a beggar. I mean, it's certainly not fun lying on the sidewalk and shaking or doing whatever to... Uh, try to make some money. So if we're constantly thinking about how stupid everybody else is and what they're doing is uh, irrational and like that, we can't concentrate at all. So these are types of uh, thoughts that we want to get rid of. If we can, obviously that takes a lot of discipline to do it, but if we have developed the uh, discipline in terms of the way that we act and we speak, that gives us the strength to be able to discipline our minds. When we start to think in these destructive ways to just stop. Don't go on that mental trip. I mean, is this clear? So, what is right effort? Right effort is to direct our energies away from harmful, destructive thoughts and direct our effort toward the development of beneficial qualities. And for this, we speak in terms of four supreme strivings, what we're striving to accomplish. First, we try to uh, put effort to prevent the arising of negative qualities that we have not yet developed. Right. So, what are negative uh, qualities that uh, we might not have yet, but uh, we want to avoid so that it uh, doesn't arise? Well, if we have a very addictive type of personality, then we might want to avoid getting, let's say, uh, some sort of joining. I don't know if you have these uh, here in uh, Ukraine, but uh, we have video clubs. I mean, now you can uh, download things from the uh, internet, from movie service. So you have as well. So you join one of those. Uh, well, you know that if I join one of these, I'm just going to download something every day and look at it every day. And since I know that this would be very detrimental to me, put the effort not to join it so that I avoid getting into this thing that I know I'm going to get hooked on. We'll have better concentration if uh, we avoid something like that or avoid, you know, the people now who are so addicted to their iPod, they can't go anywhere without listening to music. And so, how can you concentrate on anything if you also have the music going on at the same time? You're not single-pointedly focused. Pardon? I mean, but you can concentrate on music. You can concentrate on the music, but that doesn't help you to have a conversation with somebody or to do your work. I mean, it's a distraction. Most people are afraid to have silence, afraid to think about anything. So, they have to constantly have music. So, what we want to do is to put effort into avoiding that if we don't have this type of harmful quality, harmful uh, habit. And then the second one is to put effort into ridding ourselves of the negative qualities that have arisen already. If we're already addicted to something like that, well, 
limited at least, don't have it constant, then uh, cultivate new positive qualities, put effort into cultivating new positive qualities, and then effort into maintaining and enhancing the positive qualities that are already present. I mean, it's very interesting when you look at these and try to see practical applications. I'll give an example, maybe a simple example from my own experience. I have a very difficult habit. You know, I have this large website, and I'm constantly, every day, getting many, many files that people are sending me of translations or edited versions or things like that. Many, many arrive every day, 10, 20 or more. I have about 110 people working on this website, so a lot of things coming in every day. And I downloaded everything into one folder. That was my bad habit. Rather than filing them away in the proper folder where I can then find them, and my assistant could find them as well. So that is a bad habit, very inefficient, prevents concentration because you waste time, you can't find anything. So what would be the positive uh, quality is to set up a system so that as soon as something comes in, it goes immediately into the uh, right folder and not just into this big download folder. And then put effort into always putting things when they come in, in their proper place to start with, not being lazy, to just download them into uh, one place. So then everything is working much more efficiently. So you see, here's a negative quality, a habit which is uh, not productive at all. Here's a more positive one, effort to avoid this negative quality, negative habit that uh, I've had, set up a proper file system so that I can prevent it from continuing and put effort into making that file system and effort into maintaining it. That's what we're talking about here. A very simple level of practice. Okay. Right effort also uh, is into uh, trying to work to overcome the five obstacles to concentration. So what are these obstacles? First, intentions to pursue any of the five types of desirable sensory objects. What does that mean? That means that uh, I'm sitting and trying to concentrate on something. Let's say my work or whatever work that you are doing. But what would prevent by being concentrated, what would harm that concentration? It would be to think, oh, I want to watch a movie, or oh, I want to look and uh, check my uh, email, but more here in terms of sensory pleasures. Oh, I want to eat something, I want to listen to some music, I want to call a friend, whatever. So to put effort into not pursuing that, not to have my intention that I'm going to do that, but to stay focused. Second one are thoughts of spite, how to get back at somebody. It's like these thinking with malice, always thinking spitefully, oh, you know, this person hurt me, I don't like them, what can I do back to them? That's a big obstacle to concentration. So this first one was desire, I want to have this pleasure or that pleasure, and when am I ever going to go on vacation, when is this work going to end, this type of thinking, and... The second one is, you know, thinking all sorts of nasty, harmful thoughts about others or about ourselves. So we have to put right effort into avoiding these things to counter them when they uh, arise. The third one is foggy-mindedness and drowsiness. Foggy-mindedness, our mind is in a fog. We're spaced out. We can't think clearly and then sleepy. You just want to go to sleep. You have to try to 
fight that, whether you do that with a cup of coffee or you do that with getting up and opening the window, whatever you do, try to put effort into not giving into it. But if it really becomes too difficult, set a boundary, a limit. Going to take a nap, I mean, obviously if you're in your office you can't do that, but if you're working at home, I will take a nap or take a break for 20 minutes. I'll take a coffee break for 10 minutes. You set a limit, then go back to your work. This first one, <laughs> this intention to pursue five sensory objects, I think we can also put into this thing you're working and you have this strong desire to go surfing on the internet, to look at something on YouTube, or if you're a news junkie, to look at the news again on the internet. So these are the things that are obstacles to your concentration. Or I want to check my Facebook uh, feed or my Twitter feed. It's the same thing. So the third one was foggy-mindedness and drowsiness. The fourth one is flightiness of mind and regrets. So flightiness of mind, so our mind is flying off to the Facebook page, to uh, something else, and feeling regret. I mean, th these are put together in one category here. Regret is uh, your mind is flying off to, oh, I, I really regret that I did this or I said that. Thoughts of guilt. These things are very, very distracting and really prevent us from concentrating. And then the last thing that we need to uh, try to put effort into overcoming, last obstacle to concentration, is indecisive wavering and doubts. What should I do? What should I have for lunch? Should I have this? Should I have that? Not being able to make up your mind. That wastes a tremendous amount of time. You're not able to concentrate and get on with your work if you are constantly filled with doubts and indecision. So put effort into resolving it. So this is the uh, first factor, the first uh, of these uh, Eightfold Path, which we use to help us to develop concentration. It's putting effort into getting rid of distracting thoughts, emotional states that are uh, not conducive for concentration, and putting our effort into developing good qualities and getting rid of unproductive habits. In general, if we want to accomplish anything in our lives, we have to put effort into it. Things don't come for absolutely nothing. Uh, nobody said it was easy. But if we have, as I said before, if we have developed a bit of strength from uh, discipline, working with ethical discipline in terms of how we act, how we speak, how we deal with others in terms of uh, making our livelihood. That gives us the strength to uh, put effort into working on our mental and emotional states so that we're more focused. So that brings us to the end of our hour, our morning session, and we'll continue after lunch.